Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. We're beginning a brand new series. I'm excited about it. This has been coming for a while. Um, When I first sort of felt like God laid this on my heart, honestly, to be honest, I sort of put it in the shelf. I put it I put it away for a moment and I said, okay, that's something that's going to have to come at the right time. Whenever you want, Lord, I need to, to prepare. I need to take some time um, and I feel like it's now. So I don't know. I'm excited about it. Hopefully you will be as well. But this is just the, the, the title of the series is Rabbi, okay? So write that down, Rabbi. And this is the line that, that goes with the title the teachings of Jesus, okay? So rabbi, write that down. Rabbi, the teachings of Jesus. Part one today, let's read from Matthew chapter five. This is verse 38. This is the Sermon on the Mount as we know it. This is Jesus' first time teaching. This is when he's bringing revolutionary teaching, like kingdom of heaven, coming into the kingdom of earth type teaching, total change, total transformation in this teaching. And so we're beginning in verse 38. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, your ancestors have also taught. Take an eye in exchange for an eye and a tooth in exchange for a tooth. However, I say to you, don't repay an evil act with another evil act. But whoever insults you by slapping you on the right cheek, turn the other to him as well. If someone is determined to sue you for your coat, give him the shirt off your back as a gift in return. And should people in authority take advantage of you? Do more than what they demand. I love this bit. Learn to generously share what you have with those who ask for help. And don't close your heart to the one who comes to borrow from you. Verse 43 goes on. He says, your ancestors have also been taught, love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. However, I say to you, love your enemy. Bless The one who curses you, do something wonderful for the one who hates you and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. It was revolutionary teaching. It was a total shift, a total change. Everything became different as Jesus brought this new teaching to people. I wanted to start this series by setting up a bit of groundwork for this series, Rabbi. Okay, I'm excited about it. But the first little part of this message is gonna be laying some foundation, laying some groundwork for the entire series. We're gonna go for probably four or five weeks. But we're gonna focus on the teachings of Jesus. Jesus had many different names in the Gospels. People called him different things. For example, people called him um, a prophet. When he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? He said, well, some say Elijah the prophet. So he was called a prophet. Some say John the Baptist. He was called a Baptist. That one didn't land the way I thought it would land. (laughs) But we know Jesus as having many different names. Prophet, Messiah, Lord. In the New Testament now, we know him through, say, the book of Hebrews, for example, our high priest forever. Um, We know him through the power of the resurrection, that he's our resurrected king, amen? But he also had another name, and that name was Rabbi. 
people addressed him and called him rabbi. Let me show you a couple of verses. Again, as we lay some groundwork here, John chapter nine and verse one, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Then in Mark chapter 10, completely different person, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. So we have two different groups of people right there. We have the disciples, so the insiders calling him Rabbi. And we have the blind person, the one that was struggling with sin, that was cast out because of his sin, a complete outsider, so to speak, also calling him Rabbi. Many people referred to Jesus as Rabbi. Like I said, his disciples, other people called him rabbi as well. Let me just give you a few examples. There's gonna be a fair bit of scripture in this today. So if you wanna just take notes, just write the references down. You can come back to them this week in your quiet time. But disciples, Luke 7 and verse 40. Lawyers called him rabbi. So a group of Pharisees, one of them was a lawyer and he posed a question to Jesus. That's in Matthew 22 and verse 35. Uh, Ordinary everyday people called Jesus rabbi as well. Uh, that's in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. It says, someone in the crowd addressed him. So someone in the crowd, just an ordinary everyday person, called him rabbi, referred to him as rabbi. Uh, who else? The super elites of the day. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16, the wealthy people of the day called him rabbi as well. The rich young ruler in Matthew 19 addresses him as rabbi and asks him a question as a rabbi. And then there's obviously the Pharisees as well who also recognized and named him as rabbi. The Sadducees as well, Luke 19, Luke 20. So here's the point this morning. Jesus in every sense fit the description of a first century rabbi at the most advanced level. So what is a rabbi? Let me just explain a little bit further. A rabbi is not a priest. Rabbi was not a priest, okay? Two distinct differences. You might be in here like, that's obvious. Well, maybe there's people who got saved last week and they don't know, so I'm just saying it, but they're different. A rabbi was not a priest. A priest's function was to function the the, the operation of the temple, to to, to do the sacrifices on behalf of people, to, to, to exist as a mediator between the people and God. That was what a priest did, but a rabbi was completely different. Rabbi was appointed by the communities, later on appointed by synagogue communities, but a rabbi was known as having an advanced level of understanding of the Hebrew Bible, of the Torah. And he was different. There was a difference to him. In John chapter one and verse 38, it says, Jesus turned and saw them following, because that's what students of rabbis do, they follow, and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, rabbi, there it is, which means teacher, and they asked him, where are you staying? And that's an interesting point because rabbis had students and the students would come and stay with the rabbi. So they were asking him, where are you staying? Because they wanna know where he lived so they could go and be with him because that's the relationship between the rabbi and the students. The other thing that's interesting about rabbis is they weren't like vocational teachers, okay? So it wasn't like, uh, you know, a singular skill, like someone might teach you how to cook or, uh, maybe you need to teach me how to cook, uh, but they weren't like a sports coach or someone that could teach you how to play piano or it wasn't like going to a class. This was a completely different style of teaching. This wasn't just one little thing. This was a holistic life teaching. The textbook was the Torah, the Hebrew Bible. 
But the textbook really was the rabbi and his understanding, the rabbi and all that he knew. And when you went to study with a rabbi, you didn't just attend a class one day a week, you were immersed in the whole thing, in the deep end. And there's this beautiful relationship between a rabbi and a student. Later on, rabbinical schools would develop and teach the law to Jewish men. And we see even in Acts 22 and verse three, the apostle Paul says, I studied at the feet of Gamaliel. I studied at the feet of the rabbi, he says. So a rabbi wasn't just a teacher vocationally, he was a teacher for life. I'd love it if you could write this word down. We're gonna gonna do a little bit of Bible college right now. Okay, so this is a Hebrew word. Put it up there. It's, it's Talmid, T-A-L-M-I-D. And that's the Hebrew word for disciple. The Hebrew word for a student of a rabbi. So that's one, that's singular. The Talmid would be, be an individual, but a group of students or a group of disciples would be Talmudim. And these people would have an amazing relationship with a rabbi. They would be followers of the rabbi. They would be people that would spend time with the rabbi. If you were a Talmud, you would be immersed in what the rabbi was immersed in. There's this special relationship. And there's even actually a really cool saying um, in Judaism, uh, if a student of a family or or a child of a family would go and study with the rabbi, as he would leave the family, um, the the father and the mother would say to, to their child going to study with the rabbi, may you be caught up in the rabbi's dust, is what they used to say. Otherwise, they would say it is what may you be powdered by the dust of the rabbi, which simply means may you get completely drenched in everything that the rabbi is about. That was the power of this relationship. The textbook was the Torah and the rabbi's life. So becoming a student of a rabbi was fully involved, fully immersed. This is something else that's kind of interesting about the Talmud and the rabbi is the rabbi's teaching, listen to this, were considered the greatest thing that you could possibly ever possess. Was the teachings and the interpretation that the rabbi had would be the greatest thing that you personally could ever possess in life was the rabbi's teaching and his understanding. This was an intense and personal system of education. And as the rabbi lived and taught his understanding of the scripture, his students, the Talmudim listened and watched and imitated so as, just, so as to become just like him. He was their greatest teacher for life. So what's the point? Well, I got a question for you today. Is Jesus your greatest teacher? Is is Jesus Christ your greatest source of truth and knowledge? Because in John 14 and verse six, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth and the life. This is the Passion Translation. It says, no one comes next to the Father, look at this, except through union with me, closeness with me. To know me is to know my Father Two, so I wanna ask you again, is Jesus your greatest teacher because he needs to be? Jesus needs to be your greatest teacher and the good news today is he can be your greatest teacher which is why I'm excited about this series because Jesus was a teacher and we are disciples. So we've become to know 
Lots of different names for Jesus. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, Jesus is friend, he's shepherd, but he's also our teacher. So in this series, we're gonna go through some of the teachings of Jesus, and I'm excited about it. We're gonna look at them. We're gonna try to uncover them. We're trying to, gonna try to understand on a greater level what God is showing us through these incredible teachings. So point number one of the brand new series, we're gonna set it up this way. Come on, write it down. Number one, Jesus is my great teacher. We're gonna start there. Jesus is my great teacher. The word rabbi essentially means teacher as we see it, it revealed in John chapter one. It actually says rabbi, which means teacher. But if you, if you study the word, what it means is mastery. To put the two together, master, teacher, great teacher. Jesus is our great teacher. Jesus is the greatest teacher we could ever have. Let me ask you another question. Who teaches you the most in life? Who teaches you the most? Is it the news? Is it maybe social media? Is it the latest thinker or podcast you maybe follow? You ever met someone that says, well, man, I'm a student of life. Life's my great teacher. Can I just say that sounds awesome in a social setting, but it's actually really stupid. <laughs> because you could overcome pretty quickly some incredible struggles. You could supersede some incredible pain in your life. If you would look at the teachings of Jesus and understand Jesus can be my greatest teacher, which means I'm gonna be so much better off. I'm gonna move through life in such a better way because Jesus is my great teacher. Jesus was also the type of rabbi that had a certain type of authority. There were certain rabbis that had special authority. Let me show you the word, it's smikah, which simply means basically to interpret the Torah Bible, the Hebrew Bible in a special way to bring about new interpretations, new revelation, new understanding. It's also the same word they would use to ordain rabbis. But he had a certain type of authority that only certain rabbis at a super advanced level had. He had authority to make new interpretations and to bring new revelations. This is why his authority came into question all the time. Um, let me show you a few verses. Matthew 7, verse 28, when, they, uh, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. That word astonished doesn't mean wow. It means deeply offended. It means like, are you serious right now? You're the carpenter's son from there. How could you possibly teach us with that authority? They were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. See, there it is, the difference that he had a high level of authority. And then let me show you Matthew 21. This is the actual authority of Jesus that was challenged. When he entered the temple, the chief priests, and the elders of the people came up to him as, as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I will also ask you one question. See, another way that the rabbis taught is they would use a series of deduction and they would, they would answer a question by giving you a question. And they would often teach in word pictures. This is why Jesus taught in parables. This is why he taught in story because this is the way rabbis at the time would speak and would teach. And so he goes on. He says, he answered them, I will ask you one question. If you can tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. 
The baptism of John, where did it come from? From heaven or, or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, then why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. Verse 27, so they answered Jesus, we do not know. They just went with the, <laughs> the let's just play dumb option. <laughs> and he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So he had a greater level of authority. I'd love it if you could write this down. Who is the greatest authority to teach you in life? Well, let me say it this way, a different way. Who has the final word on things in your life? Who has the final word on the struggles you're going through? Who has the final word when it comes to the things that you're facing, the questions that you have? Who has the final word when you're living um, your life? Who has the final word? Who has the highest level of authority? Because Jesus should hold that place in our lives. We must, I said must, be people who claim the authority of Jesus as our great and master teacher, not the college professor that we liked who really spoke to us, not the sports coach who helped us win a championship that was kind of a cool person, said some nice things to us, not even the parents in a home, as great as they probably are. Jesus is our greatest teacher. His life, his words, what he taught us need to be the greatest teaching in our lives. Rabbi, the teachings of Jesus. And the best news today, oh, this is awesome. The best news today, our great teacher, he's alive. He's still teaching through the scriptures. He's still teaching through his Holy Spirit. He's still teaching you no matter what you're going through. Jesus is always ready to get out of the boat, sit on the shore with you and teach. It's awesome. So I just wanted to set up. Jesus is our great teacher. He's, he has the final word. He has the greatest authority. And number two, we're gonna get into the first teaching of the series this week. Number two, write this down. He taught us to love our enemies. All right, Matthew chapter five, verse 43. I'm gonna read it again. It says, your ancestors have also been taught, love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. However, I say to you, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you. Doesn't that sound like fun? <laughs> Do something wonderful for the one who hates you. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. And here he shows why, verse 40, 45, for that will reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father. He is kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm and rainfall to refresh, whether a person does what is good or evil. So Jesus starts this teaching by quoting the Old Testament. He starts by, by quoting the Old Testament, he says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's a quotation from the Old Testament. It's what they knew. It's what they understood. But here's the difference today is a neighbor for the Old Testament people was narrowly defined. A neighbor was narrowly defined. Let me explain. So basically you were part of a family inside a Jewish community. They were your neighbors. And when you think about it, someone who's kind of like you, kind of looks like you, kind of talks like you, that's your neighbor. And the Old Testament said, love them. 
That seems pretty, pretty reasonable, pretty easy. Okay, I can get on board with that. But the problem with that is loving your neighbour being narrowly defined means, okay, I just have to love that person. But what that implied and what that allowed was, well, I'm free to hate everybody else. I'm free to have whatever ill feeling, ill will towards anyone else. But Jesus comes and look at what he says. He says, I say to you, I say to you, you now need to love them too. Oh, those ones that you were free to hate before, those people that you had those differences, those people that were not like you at all and you kind of despised, now I need you to love them. Rabbi, he said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And he says, no, but now I need you to love them too. He says, I want you to love them, not tolerate them. So that goes even further. Don't tolerate them, but love them. The thing is, when I tolerate someone, which is me saying, okay, you can be how you are, but I'm, not, I, I'm just gonna let you do you and I'm just gonna be over here. I'm gonna tolerate you. That is not love. I heard a pastor say at one time like this, the fruit of the Spirit is not tolerance, it's love. And he's teaching us to love those that are our enemies, those that despise us, those that oppose us. See, when I tolerate someone, I can be passive about it. I can sit back and do nothing. But when I'm called to love, like Jesus says, I'm called to love, like the rabbi says, I'm called to love. I'm not just tolerating anymore. I can't just sit there. If I'm loving my enemy, I've got to do something about it. What are the things I can do for my enemies? How can I love my enemies? Well, I can pray for them. That's active. I can bless them. That's active. I can encourage them. It takes effort. It's active. Jesus is saying, now you need to go out of your way to lend a helping hand to those who hate you. Your feelings towards them are no longer the most important thing. That's why John, the Apostle John, who was so close to Jesus, said this in 1 John 3 and verse 18. He said, little children, let us, not, let us love in word, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. I love the way it reads in the Passion Translation. It says, beloved children, our love cannot be an abstract theory we only talk about, but a way of life. Look at it, demonstrated through our loving deeds. Jesus says, love, don't tolerate. Don't just sit there and be passive about these people that hate you, that oppose you, that persecute you. He says, love them. This was the teachings of Jesus. So that leads me to think, well, what about my feelings, Jesus? What about the wrong that I have? What about the the bitterness that I'm carrying? What about the fact that they, at one translation says, the people that abuse you? What about the abuse that I've suffered from these people that hate me? Well, the good thing about Jesus, he never, nothing Jesus ever said was incomplete. Verse 44, however, I say to you, Love your enemy, bless the one who curses you, do something wonderful for the one who hates you. Look at this and respond to the very ones who persecute you by praying for them. By praying for them. What does praying do in this situation? Well, see, praying, it changes my feelings towards that person. 
Have you ever tried to pray for someone you hate by gritting your teeth? God, I just, Lord. You know, Bob, I'm so frustrating. But God, I just pray you bless him. God, I just pray you'd prosper his family. You can't pray like that. At least I can't. But what happens is this is what Jesus was teaching us is as we begin to pray for those who persecute us, something changes on the inside. We begin to pray, God, I, I don't understand this situation. I understand all this hurt I've walked through. I don't understand why this has all happened. But God, I pray right now that you would bless them. And I know that you're gonna take care of me, but God, I pray that you would take care of them. And I pray that you would prosper them. I pray that you would give them opportunity. I pray that you would give them uh, the same future and a hope that you've promised me. You see, what begins to happen is things begin to shift in me. And what happens, we always say as believers, prayer changes things. <laughs> Can it change things when it comes to people we hate? Yes, it's the same confession, just applied to a different situation. And the God of the ages, the God of heaven comes into a situation and comes into someone's life and spiritual differences are addressed and spiritual warfare comes into it and all of a sudden, Things have changed. Jesus points to the way we need to handle these things. And as you pray for that person, he says, pray for those who persecute you. What happens is as we begin to pray, he becomes something other than an enemy. He starts to become more like a friend. This is the teaching of Jesus. Write this down if you've got a pen. The best way to destroy an enemy is to turn them into a friend. Pray for those who persecute you. And as you do, Jesus is saying, as you begin to do this, they'll go from being an enemy to more like a friend. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, verse 21, he says, do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Proverbs 25, verse 21 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. That sounds good for a moment, doesn't it? This person I hate, they're gonna get burning coals. I'm gonna get my revenge. But that's not what it means. See, the burning coals is a metaphor for the softening of the hardness of heart. The melting of someone's heart through your decision to pray and bless and encourage and speak out for and help. <laughs> the burning coals that it speaks about here softens hearts, turns people around, helps people understand, oh, wow, yes, there, there is an issue, but this person has the love of God and begins to change people's lives. Can I get an amen in church on a Sunday morning? You'll turn his anger, his wrath, his attitude toward you around until he eventually moves from hate to love. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies in Jesus' name. Well, Jesus is my great teacher. Number two, he taught us to love our enemies. But number three, I wanna finish with this. The reason for all of it is because while we were still enemies, he prayed for me. Do you know that? That even while we were at odds with God, 
even while we were enemies to the purposes and the plan of God. We were outside. Um, New Testament calls us exiles, calls us foreigners, people that were separated from the commonwealth of Israel. While we were still enemies, you know, Jesus, he prayed for us. Team, you can come and join me. Luke chapter two, sorry, Luke 23 and verse 34. I'll show you the verse. While they were nailing Jesus to the cross, look at this. He prayed over and over. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. While we were still enemies, Jesus prayed for me and he teaches in his life and through his teaching, he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then when he went to the cross, he prayed that prayer to the Father. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. While we were still enemies, Jesus was living out this teaching himself. He was living it out for himself because he loved us even when we didn't love him. He loved us even when we were his enemies. Why is Jesus teaching us to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute you? Let me show you one more verse. This is Romans 5 and verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though for perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Look at verse eight. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, the great teacher, is showing us that as we do this, as we love our enemies, as we pray and seek heaven's purposes for someone else that hates us, as we do these things, as we accept this teaching for ourselves, as we live by this teaching, this is what happens, that we take on the Spirit of Christ. We take on the mind of Christ. We begin to participate, listen to me, friend, in His plan. We begin to participate in the salvation of God, the great rescue mission of heaven, which was Jesus who died on a cross and rose on the third day, changed the game for you and for me. Come on, can I get an amen? Can someone get excited? Would you stand? As we do this, we take on the great work of Jesus. We take on His Spirit. So we love people that maybe don't see things the way we see them. It's powerful. I just wanted to finish with this one thought. And then I wanted to pray. But a rabbi would have students, would have disciples, would have Talmudim. And it was pretty cool that if a student would, would want to study with a rabbi, they'd have to apply. They'd have to be accepted by a rabbi. And it was all, only the best of the best that would be accepted. The ones who had the best level of education, the best understanding, that showed the best aptitude. And you know, it wasn't when you were accepted, it, wasn't, you didn't say, it didn't say so much about the rabbi. If you're accepted, it'd become a student. You weren't, it didn't say so much about the rabbi because the rabbi was already esteemed. The rabbi was already held in high regard in the community. The rabbi was already the rabbi. But it said everything about the student because what the rabbi was saying to the student by accepting him was that I see something in you, was that I see the potential in you, was I see the... the the, um, the aptitude, I see the, the, the willingness, I see the potential for you to become just like me. 
Now I want you to think about Jesus and how he sees you. He doesn't look at how skilled you are. He doesn't look at maybe all the things that you've done. He doesn't look at whether or not you've messed up or you've done good. He accepted and He chose you before you even wanted to be chosen. He accepted and He loved you way before you ever got to a place where you're like, Jesus, I love you. I don't know about you, but that just blows my mind. That way before I ever got to a place where I was even ready to say yes to Jesus, He already loved me, He already chose me, He already accepted me. Let's pray. God, we love you so much. And God, we thank you that we're chosen, we're loved. Father, that you've selected us. It doesn't make sense. We don't understand it, but that's grace. So God, we choose right now to accept these teachings, Lord, to look to them, God. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would just give us on a whole new level this understanding of how much Jesus loves people. And as we begin to walk it out, as we begin to understand, as we begin to grow, God, I just thank you that we're chosen, we're loved by a whole Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you and empowered you in all that God's got for you. Why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you to also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.